Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. In this episode, I was joined by Romy Alexandra, who wonderfully explains to us the experiential learning cycle and the experiential learning styles. Where are, where are you right now? You're, you're in Europe? Yes, I'm based uh, in a little town just outside of Stuttgart, Germany. Wow. So mm-hmm. we have an American accent in Europe and we have an English accent in the US. Just to, exactly. you know, just to really add to the, add to the confusion <laughs> for listeners. <laughs> but, yes, I'm, I'm originally from New York City, but I've actually been living um, abroad, mostly in Europe, um, a little in India for the past 10 years. So it's the nature now, inter, you know, remote work, intercultural oh, work. Yeah. We can be anywhere and work from anywhere. It's wonderful. Yeah, I've been in the States for 15 years and it's, um, yeah, most of my adult life really. I'm in my 30s now. I came over when I was 19, never went back. So it was kind wow. of, yeah, kind of one of those moments. What What led you to Europe? What took you there in the first place? Um, I actually joined the Peace Corps. Do you know what that yeah, is? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I joined the Peace Corps. Well, actually, sorry. Before that, I studied abroad. I spent a year of university or college, whatever you call it, yeah. in Spain, and I really fell in love with it. And then just like graduated and said, I need to go back. So came back and like you haven't left since my family was like that we were trying to encourage you to go for a year and yeah. now it's been 10 like when are you coming yeah. back I was like I don't know I really don't know <laughs> I uh, I always tell my parents that it's their fault I just throw it back on them and say you raised me so well right <laughs> like if the point of raising a kid is to make them dependent make them uh, independent sorry and be able to go and leave the nest kind of thing they did a good good job I left the nest exactly. and flew to a really far away nest I realized in about 70-odd episodes that we've had come out, we've never actually delved really actually concretely deeply into the experiential learning cycle and also the learning styles. So your expertise in that, I'll probably ask questions around that, and that way people can clearly identify exactly what we're talking about. Because we've talked around the point in the episodes, the assumption is sometimes that people know it, but then I've realized in talking to more people that going back to those basics is a good step even in this. So... Before we start, though, uh, and I say before we start, although we've already started, I have a <laughs> section I'm going to do called Mystery Questions. And this truly is mysterious in that I never sent you these. I may add okay. a jingle. Who knows? So I have five questions laid out in front of me. And I want you to give me a number one to five. And then whatever number you pick, we both answer the question. So oh, have... I love that. Yeah. That's so great. So I have um, uh, for any listeners who have felt like, is Phil keeping the same questions? I've mixed up the questions. I've put them in a different order. It's it's still random. I will say the number three gets picked the most. I'm not putting psychology <laughs> on this like a magician now. Up to you, free choice, one to five. Two is my lucky and favorite number. So let's go with number two. Two. I have to delve deeper into that before we get that. What's lucky and why is it your favorite number? Nothing too exciting, but um, my birthday is on the, on May 2nd and just I, I'm not someone who's very superstitious or believes in numbers, but somehow great things have happened to me on in with two. So maybe today is also the day. Let's hear that question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay, what is the strangest thing you believed as a child? Ooh, good question. I think 
you know, I, I can't, I, I don't know if I can say that there's one strange thing I believed in. I feel like I did a lot of strange things because I was always trying to test my assumptions. Mm-hmm. So now they would be seen as probably really stupid things. But, um, but, you know, I remember at the time I, I was always a very curious kid. So I was like, Ooh, what would happen if you skied on bricks? And then I tried and fell flat on my chin and I have a nice scar here for the rest of my life to, to remember that. Um, or I, I was thinking like, okay, what, you know, I had, we had this oven toaster and I was like, what, what, what happens if you put, like, I was really young, like maybe four or something. I was like, I remember what would happen if I put my hands in the toaster? Well, we know how that ended. So I don't think, I can't say that there's one, strange thing I believed but I was just trying to test my assumptions and think like you know outside of the box about everything even if I got hurt (laughs) yeah no absolutely that's awesome the first thing that popped into my head I don't think this is necessarily like a strange thing as a kid I used to think the word pedestrian was was pronounced pedestrian I, I that's the first thing that popped into my head but that I remember that lasted a long time longer than is normal Someone should have told me otherwise, but you'd see like the site, like uh, pedestrian crossings signs. And I used to say, oh, look, pedestrian crossings. And I had no idea what a pedestrian was. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's, uh, that's mine. Uh, so that, there though. you go. Mystery questions, everyone. A fan favorite segment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go into now delving deeper into you, Romy, and, and figuring out how did you even start in this industry? But let's go even further back. Dr. Stuart Brown, who studies play, he's talked about play histories of a whole bunch. And I really am fascinated by this notion that stuff that happens as a kid really does have influence on you as an adult. And you've already sort of talked about your experimentation size as a child. But what was your what would you say is your first delve into experiential education or that experiential world for you as a kid? Such a great question. And I definitely believe that. I think I'm, I was someone as a, as a child, I, I, like I mentioned, I was so into just being really curious and trying out new things that I was just from a learner. I, I, I didn't believe my teachers. I was kind of a bad student. I, I got good grades, but I was a difficult student to have, let's say as a child, because I was always questioning my teachers. Like I never accepted anything. You know, if, if somebody told me a theory or somebody explained something, I never just accepted it at face value. I had to really experience it. I had to try it out. And that holds true, I'd say, throughout my whole life, even today. You know, my my husband, I love him. He gives me such great advice, but he always laughs because he says, I know you're not going to believe this until you experience it. So go out, do it, make make it, and then you'll remember this advice. And I'm like, yeah, it really, it carries with me throughout my whole life. So I think just from a young age, I just realized I needed to, let's say, just like get a bit more hands on with my learning. And, you know, I, I never, I never thought I would be anyone in an educator role. I, I said, oh, you know, I didn't enjoy a lot of aspects of school for all the reasons I just shared. And, and I said, okay, well, I'll definitely never do this. And it wasn't until I joined the Peace Corps uh, in the Republic of Moldova Um, in 2012, where I really kind of learned more about experiential learning, about non-formal education, how they can really complement each other and make learning not just informative, but really applicable, practical, a lot of fun um, and meaningful. And so, you know, once I opened my eyes and learned about this whole new world, there was no turning back. I was like, okay, this, this is really for me. Yeah, I think that when people find something they immediately gel with, you have that feeling. I had that exact same experience when I came to the States. How did you transition some of that like that awareness into then 
making this a career for you? What were the, what were some of the steps? As I mentioned, I really started in the, in the Peace Corps, and actually, my my focus was on uh, human rights work and human trafficking prevention work. And uh, what I what I realized early on was that um, so many organizations were, you know, going around to schools, going around to different organizations, and just doing, you know, a lot of lecturing about human trafficking and methods traffickers use, or different things like this. But, you know, again, if it's not engaging, if it's not applicable, it's not even fun, right? It doesn't, you know, the subject can be really serious what we're training on. But if we're having fun, then we're learning. And so I realized quite early on that experiential learning is a tool that can be applied to so to so much. And it's, it's essential if we really want our learning outcomes to, to come to life. So over, over many years, that transition from, you know, I really took a more, let's say, empowerment approach and posit- to positive youth development. And even though I was focusing on human rights, it transitioned into leadership. And I wanted to create leadership academies for young people to, you know, recognize themselves as change agents. I felt like myself as a, as a child, I didn't realize the power that I had as a teenager of what I could do to impact my world. And that's kind of been a mission that I've had for the past decade of how I can really um, empower youth to do the same. And all of that was through experiential learning. So um, that took me to many different countries. You know, I've, I've lived in, in six different countries. I've traveled now. My, my life goal is to go to every country in the world. Um, so far, it's 66, but I still have many more to go. Um, and so, yeah, that took me to traveling everywhere. And, and everywhere I went, no matter the culture, this focus on experiential learning, I just recognized was such a powerful tool for education. And you know, I really believe in this, you know, quote by Nelson Mandela, right? Education is the most powerful weapon we have to change the world. So the experiential learning was, was really the way to do that because traditional education formats that I had seen were not, were not changing the world, to be honest. Yeah. Over time, I realized that I had just developed so much, um, you know, experience and in, in applying this and transitioned as well into working with adults and professionals and supporting educators, both in the formal education and non-formal education atmosphere and how to improve how they work with young people and how they empower and how they uh, design their, their, you know, their learning programs. So this has taken me over, you know, many, many different, different countries, different topics, different ways, but always the foundation and base was experiential learning. And once I recognized that this is absolutely my purpose. I'm so passionate about it. I'm so connected. Um, I really wanted to dive deeper. So I'm grateful um, because now I'm, I'm collaborating with the Institute for Experiential Learning. So I, I was originally a student there. And so I, I, I learned a lot uh, from David Kolb himself and Alice Kolb and Kay Peterson, amazing mentors. And that really gave me just an incredible foundation in the theory. And, you know, we need, we need theory, but we also need practice. And so a lot of what I see in this space is either people working only in the theory, people working only in the practice, but how can we really bridge those worlds and really make the most impact? Um, so that's really what I'm doing now. It's, it's, it's my work spans, you know, still I'm working with schools, organizations, now companies um, to really kind of ignite and excite people more about experiential learning and the impact it has, no matter what topic uh, your training in or what, you know, what you aim to achieve. It's definitely, definitely the way, the only way, especially now online, virtual, we need it even more than ever. I am like feeding off your energy right now because, um, <laughs> because I feel very, very similar 
in the experiential learning in the work that we do, I've also always felt as as being seen as a pseudo education or a side education. Or, but you reference like it's applicable to all uh, um, genres of work, life, balance, every country. I was speaking uh, the other day with someone who uh, teaches play studies, just the art of play, and saying that that was a universal language across the world. And that's Mm. true. And experiential learning is also a universal language. You can break down the experiential learning cycle and everyone's experienced that cycle, no matter what they've done ever. And you can tell people and they'll be like, I've never heard of it. But as soon as you explain it, then it's there. From your perspective, how, how do we get it to the mainstream? How do we make it so that it's not seen as this addition to, but it's seen as a real core component of how people learn? Maybe that's a huge question. <laughs> Solve all our problems, Romy. It's a great one. You know, it's a great one. And I, th- I think what we can do is remember that learning is not something restricted to spaces, right? We talk a lot about, you know, the non-formal education, the formal education, right? Is learning happening in the school? Is it happening in a conference room? Is it happening in a training room? Is it happening, you know, in, in a camp, um, in, you know, out in the outdoors? But real true experiential learning is not confined to the space. It's Actually, if we can think more about learning as this is how we live our life, we are learning machines, we are every interaction that we have. Um, And if we can think more about, you know, how we learn is how we live, because so, you know, what I what has been such a, a rewarding experience for me is recognizing that everything that I know about experiential learning, the learning cycle, learning styles, learning flexibility, you know, training roles, all of this aspect, the learning space, all of that is actually connected to anything outside of a, you know, real program of learning. It's when I go out in the market here and I always give this, you know, example of, I just recently moved to Germany and I don't speak a word of German. And so, um, you know, and, and I, to be honest, have been fortunate to have so much work going on that I haven't had a lot of downtime yet. I will learn German. I have to, uh, but I haven't had a lot of time to learn. So just walking to my local market, you know, the other day, there was, you know, there was a, a man at an apple stand and I heard him saying Apfel and he had, you know, he was, I don't even know if I said it correctly. So I <laughs> told you my German is not so good, but, um, but just, I could read it and I could hear it. And I was like, wait a second, is it that similar in German and English? And that was an experience for me that struck me. That was something new that I didn't know. And then, you know, I could reflect on it and, and I was saying, wait a second. And I even had to clarify and asked him like, Apfel? apple apple he was like yes i was like oh okay it is the same and you know thinking hmm there's actually so many other words like that that you know i that i couldn't pick up like this and then how could i use it then that you know the next day you know i went to the local bakery and i was asking for something mit apple and they you know i had a nice little apple pastry so that was me applying my learning and just in that super small ridiculous example <laughs> you can see how experiential learning the cycle is everywhere it's all around us and so it's not something that we should restrict to the space to to a learn a traditional learning program but if we can leverage it and see how do I want to be a learner in my life? How do I want to bring that into, into all aspects of what's happening in my life? That's how I think we can really elevate experiential learning and take it out of the bubble, as you, as you mentioned.
let's delve a little deeper into the experiential learning cycle because we've mentioned it a lot in the podcast, but we've never really delved into the actual mechanics of it. And I don't want to assume that people know if they don't. So uh, you're the perfect person to ask. What's your uh, maybe elevator speech? What's your short description of what the experiential learning cycle is? Hopefully the the little example will help even more with, with what I'm about to say. I think there's a big misconception that experiential learning is learning by doing. And actually it's not learning by doing. Experiential learning is learning through experience, reflecting on that experience, thinking about that experience, and then applying and acting on that experience. And so the experiential learning cycle is a cycle of learning that has these four modes There's nice, big, fancy terms for it, like concrete experience, reflective observation, all these. But I, you know, I like to just make it really simple and even say it's experiencing, reflecting, thinking and acting. It's quite simple. It's not, you know, a complicated theory of of the cycle, but it is absolutely transformational. Um, And it's transformational because it follows the patterns in our brain. So it actually, if you, if you implement all, you know, if you implement any learning program that has these four modes of the cycle, you ensure the most long-term memory retention, which everybody wants, right? Why are we going to teach something or train on something if people are not going to remember it? And it also allows for just the most holistic form of learning. And that has to do with learning styles, um, but it also has to do with I I find I go to so many trainings or workshops where we have a lot of fun, right? There's tons of experience in there. There's activities, there's games, we're at play, we're enjoying it. Amazing. But if we don't reflect on it and debrief and say, okay, what happened in there? Let's talk about that simulation or that role play or that game. And what what are we learning from it? What are we taking away from it? And, And even sometimes people stop there, right? They do an activity and a debrief, an activity and a debrief. But we really need to go fully around the cycle and say, okay, but now let's think a little bit more into into these more generalized terms. How can I, this is the thinking phase of the cycle. How can I apply what I just learned in this game to my real life? You know, and what can I do with that knowledge? So one of my favorite activities that I like to do, and especially because I've been working a lot in this intercultural context is it's quite a, it's quite a, maybe controversial one, but it's a simulation game. It's actually called the bomb shelter. Essentially what I do is I give a little piece of paper with one word on it to everybody. And then I do a whole scenario. Like I have, you know, I pretend somebody called me and I have a call and I'm like, guys, you know, we we just got an alert. There's been a, a bomb threat and we have to, you know, we have to go into the, into the bomb shelter. But the issue is that we're not, you know, there's not enough space for all of us and we have to choose which one, you know, which ones of us can, can fit. There's only, let's say there's seven spaces. And so I give them time and I say, okay, you know, they each have that piece of paper that has one word, whether it's doctor, lawyer, professions are great for this, but also it could be nationalities, cultures, anything. And so I say, okay, you have to choose who are the people there. So they have this whole experience of choosing, you know, in, in the end, I've never had a group that doesn't choose because I always tell them either you pick people or everybody dies outside of the bomb shelter. So it's life or death situation, right? And they pick and they choose and they're deliberating and they come up and time is running out. Okay. And I take them out. We have, we have the bomb shelter. So we have this whole experience. And then we reflect on it. And then I bring, okay, we, we, you know, do some kind of signal that the bomb shelter is over and, and let's come back and reflect on what happened. You know, how did, 
how do you feel, right? This is what emotions, feelings come out first. I, I work a lot also in the emotional intelligence space. So also trying to like recognize that if we don't talk first about feelings, it's really hard to get to the learning. Um, so get those feelings out and talk about how are you feeling? What happened? How did you, right? How did you deliberate? How did you decide to make those decisions? Are you happy with the decision? Are you not? Those kind of questions, which is a great reflection. But then we go, as I said, to the thinking phase where we say, okay, let's talk a little bit about what happened here and how it relates in your real life. Because many people say, oh, well, this was just a game. This was just a simulation. Yes, this was a game, but your choices were yours. And those were true. And so what happened here, right? I didn't, you know, you weren't pretending to choose. You made clear decisions that were in, yes, in a pretend life and death situation, but you actually chose to save some people. And I, I forced you into that situation, but let's talk about, you know, what can we learn from it? And in that thinking phase, we really start to, to um, you know, create great learning outcomes that are more connected to what's happening outside of the training space or outside of the wilderness space. That is really more, you know, how are we aware of the stereotypes and the biases that we have, right? You know, I had the word prostitute. One of the words was prostitute. And, and usually that's, you know, definitely not saved in, in the bomb shelter. All you had, all I gave you was that one word. And from one word, you decided if someone's life was worth saving or not. So then people really start, then we start asking a lot of questions on, about real life, about how are we looking at different people? How are we using identifiers and names in the media, in our regular life? And how are we judging people, maybe not life or death, but we're making clear decisions and judgment on how to interact with those people. And that's why that thinking phase is so important. And then it, it oftentimes it ends there, right? People say, okay, now go ahead. But if you finish there, your participants will leave the space saying, so what, what did I, what can I, why, why did we do that? It was fun. I learned it was maybe even powerful, really hard, even for me to recognize and come to, to terms with my own uh, biases. But that's why we need the acting piece. And that's why that is so important is, I, we can never leave a session, you know, without saying, how can you apply this learning, right? Now you've learned about your own biases. You've learned what happened, but what are you going to do about it? Each one of us has some, can take ownership over some action, even a really small one. Um, and so even if it's just, you know, making a commitment um, to do something, to address, like we all have biases, but how, what can we do to maybe create more inclusive spaces or to address our stereotypes or to have conversations with people to break down those barriers? And that gives a lot of ownership, empowerment, excitement to, to the learners that, you know, I can take what I, this amazing experience that I had here, but I can apply it back home and I'm going to start taking action back home. And that is another thing that's so great about the experiential learning cycle is that it doesn't just end there with acting. It's actually a series of many, many cycles that become a spiral because then when they go out in the real world and they start having those conversations about biases with their friends, that's going to be a new experience. And then they can reflect on that and then they can think more about that and say, okay, what new action do I want to take moving forward? And that's how we really intertwine experiential learning into, into all aspects. So I hope, I know I gave you lots of different information there, but I hope that really helps to see why experiential learning is not learning by doing. It's really like learning through experience, reflection, thinking, and acting. And uh, I really loved the spiral visual that you just painted in the head at the end of there, because uh, I'd not heard that before. And that 
definitely resonates. I think that because you're constantly stacking on top all the experiences that came from an initial experience up into the point of now. Even if you only have 30 minutes, you can take your learners through the cycle by crafting the right questions in your debrief. And that's why I say, right, um, like if you ask first, like, how do you feel? You're talking about experience the feelings. Um, and then you can ask questions on, you know, for reflection, like what happened or, you know, how did this go or why did you do this or how did this go? And then you start making the, you know, the thinking phase. How can you apply this in your, in your real life, right? What will you take away from this? And then, you know, an acting thing. So what, what's a challenge that you can set for yourself moving forward or what's something you can put into practice. And so even in, that's the most basic form, right? That's not always the most exciting, but even if you just are strategic with how you design your debriefs, you actually help the learners get through the cycle. Um, and so that that's one aspect that's important. But the other one is that if you look at the cycle, you know, the cycle creates these, um, you know, poles, right? So it's, it's um, trans grasping experience, right? Having an experience and grasping experience, which is this North to South pole, the experiencing and the thinking, because often you can, in the thinking phase, you can also introduce some kind of theory or concept that kind of hits home the, the reflections that, that happen, but it's also transforming that experience. And that's the other pole from East to West of the reflection and acting. And so this is why David Kolb, you know, he defines experiential learning as the process whereby knowledge is created through the transformation of experience. And the way that you can transform that experience, right? The learning happens by taking that experience and transforming it, grasping it, transforming it through all those uh, modes that I talked about before. What's your advice on making the reflective practice a little bit more engaging and possibly more enjoyable, both for the facilitator and also for the participant? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, finding different methods, the same way that we think about all the experience, we're like, oh, there's so many methods. We don't often think about reflection in the same way, right? We just, we it kind of, we all have this picture in our mind of, okay, now we all come back to the big circle and we sit and we talk. And that does us all a disservice because, um, may, you know, if we don't add variety, if we don't see this the same way we would with experience, create these different methods for reflection. For example, you know, I love to do individual reflection with music, especially in the online space, right? That's great. I love to do, you can do breakout room reflection the same way in person. You can do small group discussion even before you come back to the main group. And that is often much more inclusive of all different learner styles. But you can even, you know, use cards. I love to use different, I mean, you, you have cards. I know everyone, you know, any kind of amazing visual cards. I love to put them out on the floor and say, pick a card that really resonates with, you know, what just happened or what feelings came up or what are you learning? And let's use visual cards as a tool to reflect. Even sometimes I, I've done things where I have people create their own posters and this could be digital or in person, like create a poster about what did you just learn and what just happened? And I maybe even give them, you know, the questions and I ask them to create some kind of visual. And then we have a nice gallery walk and we're all, you know, it doesn't have to be also you know, kinesthetic is, is important as well. It doesn't just have to be sitting. Um, we can be moving around and looking at the gallery view of like, what did we, re what are all the different reflections that we have from the same activity 
the beauty, this is something that I love about reflection is that each, each person, we could get a room of a hundred people. We get a room of 15 people, no matter how many people, each one of us can have the exact same experience and take something completely different away. And that is why I love the reflection is because you get to hear that you get to hear those different perspectives. You, you know, the diversity in the room, diversity of thought ideas, all of that comes to life in the reflection. So the more we can transform the way we think about reflection and see it as this huge opportunity for learning. The other thing that's really interesting is that the majority of what your learners learn, what they take away from any, from any session that you have, the majority of it is not from you as the facilitator, as the trainer. The majority is from hearing their peers. And often when you're in the experience phase, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing, so you don't have a lot of time to reflect or hear your peers talking about things. It's in the reflection that you have time to sit and ask and dissect, like, what did you think of that versus what did I think of that? And that's where the learning, like, oh, ooh, that was so different. That was, so, you know, I never thought about it that way. And that's why we need reflection and we need a variety of different methods for reflection. Could not agree more. I think the, the variety is so important because I think people get stale on the same stuff. And I've experienced people experiencing uh, report out fatigue, which is just essentially like, just oh, all right, back into the circle. Who wants to share? And it just it just becomes you're doing it because you think you have to do it versus like you find value in it. And so therefore, you're not really getting the value from it. And the other part I like um, in terms of you mentioning that they're getting it from their peers, a practice that we've been using, it's been so, so beneficial. I've been teaching it to as many people as possible, is the idea of when you ask a question, someone gives information before you move on, ask, does what this person say resonate with anyone else in this group? Raise your hand. Mm -hmm. And then they'll raise their hands. And before I let them lower, I say, keep your hands up. Look, just observe how many other people feel exactly the same as you right now. Lower the hand and then the next thing, because the awareness that you're not alone in a thought is also so powerful. When people share, it's like, oh, I know that too. And I think that once again, that sticks in people's brains. We've sort of touched on it. We've been around this idea of how people are learning also. How people interact with the learning cycle is dependent on their learning style. Can you explain the experiential learning styles a little bit? Absolutely. So let me just preface this by saying that depending on, you know, I'm working with facilitators, I'm working with learning development. There's kind of a general, really bad reputation, I feel like, about learning styles. Like the second I almost say the word, I get a lot of people like, whoa, 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 you know that there's no research behind it? I don't even want to hear about it. Like, wait, 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 wait (laughs) a second. Um, So so let me just say this. When I'm talking about these learning styles that are are in connection with the experiential learning cycle. I'm not talking about auditory learners, you know, visual learners, kinesthetic learners. Um, I've, I've actually talked with some of the top neuroscience teachers uh, in, in the U.S. who are so inspiring, who said, actually, actually, they said to me, you know, there's no evidence or research behind visual, auditory, kinesthetic learners, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, what we think, what we would encourage, although there's no research behind it, but just from practice, they saw was that, you know, if you, when you're teaching something, if you can 
think about not just speaking, but also creating a visual, but also encouraging, right? If you're teaching people about the brain, like you can have people even, you know, move their hands and see left and right and different things. People remember it more, although there's no evidence behind it. It does work. But anyway, that's a, a tangent. That's not what I'm talking <laughs> about. The learning styles that I'm talking about is really connected with the experiential learning cycle. Many people are very familiar with the learning cycle of the four modes, but they don't realize that that's just one aspect of the experiential learning theory. And the theory is a very robust and comprehensive theory. And one of the other areas is this idea of learning styles. What I can say is that another reason why, why styles or even, you know, these personality tests get a really bad reputation is because they put people into boxes and it's easy to say, oh, you're this way and you're only this way. And then I'll teach you this way or, I'll, you know, but what I love about the learning styles incorporated in the experiential learning cycle or experiential learning theory, excuse me, is that they're really about preferences. So each one of us, we talked about these four modes of the cycle. Each one of us has a personal preference where we actually feel we're learning more. So that could be, for example, in the experiencing phase, like we talked about, it could be reflecting. Maybe a lot of, you know, you see a lot of observers who, a lot of learners who like to be the observers, who like to take a step back. And for them, ooh, it's all like, I'm really recognizing now by even watching other people or by reflecting more. There's the thinkers, right? Like people like my husband who are, we are such different learning styles. He's more in this um, Southern part of the cycle, analyzing thinking. And he's like, I don't understand sometimes why you need to do a training on this. I would just read a book and it's done. I got it. And I was like, <laughs> what? No, I, you know, I need to experience it. So there's thinkers who can just really like easily seek some kind of theory or read and kind of get it like that. And then you have the action, you know, people acting, learning style, the same as the cycle. It's the same. They love to um, do things, put things into action. They're very much about, you know, even, you know, putting, yeah, they, they love their to-do lists and the plans and all that. So you have these four, but it doesn't just end there because you also have in between each part of the cycle. So you have imagining style, which is in between experiencing and reflecting. These are really imaginative. They love you know, thinking about possibilities, you know, imagining the future, you have deciding, which is, uh, sorry, analyzing, which is between reflecting and thinking. So really analyzing possibilities. They love to dissect and look at it from every different angle. And you have in, in between thinking and acting, you have deciders. They're the ones who are, they love, make a plan. Let's go for it. Let's, it's decision time. And then you have initiating, which is between experiencing and acting, which is definitely about, you know, just jumping into, into the action, but more, you know, the acting is a bit more connected to like making plans. Initiating is a little bit like, let's jump in. Even if we don't have a plan, let's see what happens. They're very flexible, but so you have those eight, and then you also have the balancing and balancing is in the middle, which is they do a little bit of everything. And so they're really able to flex. Now, I'll just say a few more things. I know I'm talking a lot and, you That's know, okay. as a, I, we're on a podcast yeah. is what we do, but like, as a, you know, as a trainer facilitator, I feel like, oh, I should be creating space for more people to talk. So I will just say a few more things about, about learning styles is that it represents where, you know, where we're most comfortable. So each one of us has a preference is a personal preference and which part of the cycle we most enjoy. Now we know Every learner needs to go through the full cycle. That's the best way to have holistic, you know, learning. 
but we're not always so excited to be an age part. I'm, you know, I'm initiating style. I'm much more comfortable in the experiencing, in the acting. I can even what I call flex, which is like kind of get a little out of our comfort zone and flex more to imagining, reflecting. But once I get to that analyzing, thinking, deciding, I'm kind of like running through that part as a learner. I'm like, oh, I, you know, that's that doesn't feel as good to me. I don't want to be sitting here in the analyzing. I want to start getting to action. So each one of us has that. We all have our own personal preferences. And those preferences are not boxes. They're not stagnant. They change over time. David Kolb himself, when I first was meeting him, I was like, I have to know, David, like, what is your learning style? It's like, you know, this was what I was thinking was back in the 90s, you had these magazines like boxers or briefs, right? And I was like, I was like, this is the ultimate boxer briefs question. Like, what's your learning style to, to David Cole? And he said, well, actually, it's changed, you know, from many years ago, he was more in this thinking, analyzing. He started as he, you know, got older, was flexing and moving to the reflecting phase, imagining and now he says he's in retirement and now he's like, you know, I'm actually loving experiencing. I'm, uh -huh. I'm fine. And so the fact that we all can move and different life experiences, different contexts, different, so many different aspects influence our learning styles. It can give us a little bit more empowerment to see, you know, where, where do we feel most comfortable at this point in our life around the cycle and seeing it as not something stagnant but also that we have flexibility. And so we all can, we all should be really working on flexible on our flexibility because each there's no style that's better than another. Each style comes with its own strengths and weaknesses, even balancing. I always thought oh, balancing is ideal. You get to do everything. You're so comfortable everywhere, but even balancing it's Jack of all trades, master of none, right? They can do a little bit of everything, but are they really like great and experts at certain things? No. So each style, no matter what it is, has its own uh, strengths and weaknesses, and it's up to us to really develop and flex. And on the other side, as trainers, as facilitators, we cannot just say, oh, well, if you're experienced, like if you're experiencing and you love the experiencing, I'm just going to give you experiences. No, we do our learners a disservice because we have to take them through the full cycle. We have to empower them to be flexible with their learning and stretch to their own, to all the different styles as well. I just gave you a lot. No, of I, no, it's okay. That's perfect. <laughs> it's wonderful. I think that, you know, for me, I'm speaking just for me, but I'm sure some, some listeners resonate with this. I've, I've always looked at the, the learning styles and I've looked at the cycle and sometimes been distracted by the, the words, right? Like sometimes trying to bring those words to life. And so mm. I could just speak for myself. I appreciate your descriptions of both the styles and the cycle because I think they've rejuvenated some energy around me about some of the learning that I'm going to do and the way that I'm going to train. So yeah, I find that very exciting. And it might not be helpful for others, but it's definitely for me. And that's part of the podcast is selfish so <laughs> about my own professional development. So I uh, super appreciate it. Where can um, people find more information if they wanted to learn more? And they're like, oh, they listen to this. Like, oh, my God, this is exciting. How do I learn more? Where do they get that information? Yeah, absolutely. So um, they there's something called the KLSI, the Cold Learning uh, Stouts Inv Inventory. Unfortunately, it's not free, but I, I think it's maybe like $35 per person. So it's pretty, you know, reasonable and it's an amazing test. Like you can buy it. I know the Institute for Experiential Learning offers it. Um, I believe also Corn Ferry offers it. Just look up KLSI and you'll find different ways to purchase it. And 
it's so empowering to learn about your own style of learning. Because as I said at the beginning, there's even a book on this that's, you know, incredible by like, you know, Kay and, and David Cole, how, how you learn is how you live. And I really believe this because it's so empowering to learn how you learn because this aspect, you know, how you learn those learning styles are not just applicable in the training room. That has to do with how you communicate with others in your day-to-day life has to do with how you make decisions. It has to do with so many facets of our life that we're unaware of that we have to become aware of our learning styles. It's been an empowering process for me to learn for many years ago. If I said, Oh, this person and I, we just don't gel. Like, I don't know. I'm really trying. And there's just something just doesn't feel like we're not gelling. Learning about the learning styles has helped me see, Oh, I'm not putting someone in a box, but I can see, Oh, this person really values analyzing or values thinking. So I'm up here in this Northwest initiating, right? I want to talk about emotions, feelings, all the good, like I, that's so important to me, but that person really wants to move a bit more away from the emotions and talk rational thinking, analyzing thoughts. And just becoming aware of all that has helped me become a better communicator with different people. I really, it's increased my own empathy skills and understanding, right? This is not just like, you know, that person's just like, we don't gel, right? It's, oh no, we have different learning styles. So how can I break that barrier that might be between us right now and try and communicate more in this, in their style as much as I can. It's why it's such a powerful thing. So I highly encourage um, anyone to, to take the learning styles test. There's also, there is a free educator role test. I have to think, where is it available? Um, David Kolb's uh, website is experience-based learning systems. They offer this. It's a free educator role because there's a misconception that you're, that you teach or train the way your learning style is. And that's not true. And so I think this is also something we connected on recently was the different educator roles mm-hmm. and how to become aware of where we, you know, we all, we need to go through all of them. just like the cycle um, but we all have preferences for those as well. And so being aware of where are our blind spots so we can create more holistic learning programs um, is great. And then, of course, I will do a little pitch here, but I do offer an, a course, the Online Experiential Learning Trainer, in partnership with the Institute for Experiential Learning. And so it's a great way um, to even dive deeper if, you know, if you're, if you're not in that thinking phase, right? So sometimes people who see the thinking phase, they get the test, they're like, great, done, I already get it. But if you need a bit more experience around all this theory, that's why I'm really, really happy to be bridging that gap between the experience and the theory and um, offering this course with the Institute to help others really better understand all of that. Thank you so much. Oh, <clears throat> voice just broke. Uh, puberty yeah. setting in. Um, <laughs> hey, thank you so much, uh, Ravi. That, that's so wonderful. I Just so people are aware, the connection that I have with Romy is that I just started following her on LinkedIn. So She's on LinkedIn, Romy Alexandra Solomon. You can find it like she's been weekly, it seems like. So much uh, information being shared and every post has been, wow, okay, great information here, usable information. So I appreciate it. How might people find you if they listen to this and they were like, oh, I would love to connect with Romy more. Can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for asking. So I'm really excited because I'm not going to give too many details yet, but I'm on the verge of something like launching something really big and really exciting. Just kind of exactly everything we're talking about. There's so many people who don't recognize all of what we're all of what we're sharing. People want to learn more. And so, yeah, I'm so excited. I want to tell you what it is, but please definitely follow along. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. As you said, Romy Alexander Solomon. You can find me on Instagram training by Romy at training by Romy. 
Facebook, Romy Alexandra, Experiential Learning Trainer. But the website that's coming and the community that's coming and the projects that are launching are about to be really, really exciting. So if you're interested to learn more about bridging this gap between theory and practice and experiential learning, please send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Find me on social media and I'll be make sure that you're one of the first people that find out about it. And, you know, I, I just would love to to really create something new and exciting in this space, in the learning space. Yeah. Thank you so much, Romy. And once again, thank you for giving your time, expertise and, and explaining so much for us and, and your passion and energy really comes through. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you again. This was so wonderful and really wonderful to connect with you. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playpen. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving Article Pass a guy. <laughs>